there is so much that um, the arts can develop in us that we can then apply in all areas of, of our lives. But is education only measured by assessment? Uh, and if that's the case, are we not the poorer for it? We all need joy in our lives. And actually the arts and creative practice help us join the dots internally and externally. Hello and welcome to the Coconut Thinking Podcast. I'm your host, Benjamin Freud, and this is the second installment of the Coconut Thinking Podcast's partnership with Intrepid Ed News. And we couldn't be more excited to have Jane Bryant on the podcast. Jane was for 10 years the chief executive of ArtsWork, the organization founded by Ken Robinson to promote culture and the arts within youth communities. Jane is now the CEO of her own consultancy where she advises organizations, public, private, uh, not-for-profit, in how to centralize the arts, how to raise funds, how to raise awareness for the arts. And throughout her career, Jane has done a tremendous job of opening up channels of expression for disenfranchised youth and opening up access to creativity and the arts. So we look forward to your thoughts. Check us out on www.coconut-thinking.design. I really hope you enjoyed this conversation with Jane Bryant and leave us uh, five stars, subscribe, and um, look forward to your comments. And here's my conversation with Jane. Hi, Jane. Thanks so much for uh, taking the time to be with us on the podcast. Uh, really excited to hear about your ideas uh, in terms of creativity, the arts, your experience, which is very vast in the world of education, bringing the arts and education together, uh, which is something that unfortunately is uh, seen less and less throughout the world. Um, and certainly want to get your reviews on that. I'll start off by asking you, who are you? What kind of things interest you? And how do you try to make a difference? Okay, well, hello, Benjamin. It's really good to talk. Um, who am I? Well, that could be a, a, a vast conversation, um, uh, only because I've lived for quite a long time. Uh, my name is Jane Bryant, and um, I have a background in arts management and music education. My professional life, all my professional life, if I look for a thread throughout all the various different roles, responsibilities I've had. It's always been about increasing and enhancing access to arts, culture and creativity for children and young people, both in and out of school. Um, and I've been particularly interested in those young people who have challenges in their lives and for whom, therefore, access to the arts and, and culture can be that much more, more uh, difficult. Uh, there are barriers in the way that are not of their making. And I suppose my, my ethos has been, how can we overcome those barriers to ensure that children and young people uh, have access to the opportunities that can so enrich and enhance their lives going forward, all our lives. Um, but for many of us, uh, accessing the arts is, is not that challenging. But for some children and young people, uh, there are enormous challenges in their way. And uh, I, I've been passionate about um, trying to address those. Um, so, so that's a start. I've, I've had many different roles. Um, I started as a itinerant teacher of music in the Orkney Islands off the north coast of Scotland, uh, which gave me experience of teaching five to 18 year olds 
class music, had guitar, will travel. And, um, you know, that was a fantastic introduction to children, young people, teachers of all kinds. So great, great way to start a career. And I'd love to hear more about where you went from there. Uh, I'll ask you the question that we ask all of our guests, and one day maybe we'll, we'll create a little book to see what, what the different answers are. Uh, how, how do you define learning? Yes, well, you know, Benjamin, that since you asked me that question, I have spent much time thinking about it, and I haven't written anything down. Um, it is such a huge uh, question. I mean, uh, Learning is something that happens throughout our lives, and I think that's very important. Um, learning is about facts and knowledge, but it's about skills and the application of those skills. It is reflecting on what has been and being able to think forward about how that might inform what might be. Um, and it's a, a never-ending process. And um, uh, one of my concerns is that schools have focused too much on assessing knowledge of fact and not enough about developing skills and application of skills and um uh yeah that that is something that i i do get concerned about in in the two um answers or the two points that that you brought up you you evoked uh the fact that uh the arts and creativity can happen inside and outside of school so that's a, a space-based um uh context and now you just mentioned that learning happens throughout our lives. So really, we're taking those two dimensions of time and space, and, and they could extend anywhere. Arts, creativity, anywhere, learning, all the time. How do the arts help bring these two aspects together? Or at least, how could it be a point of entry for learning, for development, for whatever it might be for fulfillment um, in the lives of young children? What has been your experience? What, what is the importance? How could it be? Um, the, I mean, uh, uh, there's, a, there's a lovely little phrase that the arts reach the parts that other forms of learning don't quite. Um, and I'm, I'm talking about the arts in general, so that encompasses visual arts, literature, music, creative writing. The arts are about who we are as human beings. And um, it starts, it starts when we're, we're at our youngest points. Um, and you see it in many different cultures, the, the singing and the, the painting and the, the movement and the joy and the community that can happen as a result of participating in the arts. The, of course, not everybody calls it the arts. It doesn't matter. But it is that expression of what it is to be human um, that I, I think is so important. And, and uh, you can see it in the joy of singing with, with a, with a one-year-old, or you can see it in working with um, much older people who, have, who are suffering from dementia. 
there's that joy of of still participating in something that reaches into who you are as people. But the arts can teach us about experimentation and um, uh, risk taking and collaboration and uh, expression and imagination and curiosity. All these things are vital, not just to um, our participation in the arts, but who we are as human beings and how we engage with each other. There is so much that um, the arts can develop in us that we can then apply in all areas of, of our lives, including um, politics and debate. Um, that notion of, of self-reflection, of, of looking back at what you've done and learning from it for yourself and then working with others to facilitate that learning. And everything you've mentioned, uh, I go back to a point that you brought up earlier about your concern that schools are focused too much on facts and on knowledge. That's really easy to grade. You get an answer right, you get it wrong. It's really easy to put a number on it. But everything you've described, collaboration, knowing oneself, joy, um, working with others, expression, that's very difficult to quantify. Um, without leading you too much, what do you think the role is of this um, uh, difficulty in assessment, in, in, in really being able to quantify, to pinpoint? What do you think that has caused in schools? Do you think that is something that will continue to narrow, has room to open? How do schools navigate this in, in times when there's increased accountability? Oh, gosh, this is a, such a huge, uh, such a huge question. Um, I wouldn't want to give the impression that facts and knowledge are not important. They are absolutely important. And um, uh, I've been a great fan of Ken Robinson over the years. Um, and he always made that point that uh, the arts aren't somehow to be done instead of subjects that are about facts and knowledge, but they should be part of a holistic um, approach to education and, and teaching. Um, how do you assess uh, progress in things that are difficult to assess, like the application of skills, like collaborative learning? Um, you yourself, Benjamin, have talked about project-based inquiry. And actually, there are ways that you can assess um, learning through project-based approaches. There are ways that you can look at application of skills and not just acquisition of knowledge. And I know that the OECD have done some work around the assessment of, of, of creativity. And indeed, in our own country, we, we have um, the Durham Commission that's looked at uh, uh, the application of creativity across education. But if we get ourselves tied in knots over how we are going to assess something and the challenges of how we are going to measure, we may be at risk of not even trying because it's too difficult. But I have an interesting question that I probably wouldn't uh, wouldn't ask in a school unless I knew them very well. But is 
education only measured by assessment? Uh, and if that's the case, are we not the poorer for it? Um, it's quite interesting. I, I, I am learning at the moment, um, Benjamin, I am doing an MA, something that um, I'm doing part time, but is really enabling me to do a bit of reflection on all the things I've learnt um, over the years. Um, I don't know where I'm going with this, but uh, I've been looking at different types of pedagogy and the importance of the teacher's own agency. And yes, you know, schools have to follow curriculum. That is a good thing on the whole. It provides for equality of teaching and learning in schools across different countries. But in the end, it is the teacher's um, own agency, if you like, that defines how they might teach in the classroom. Um, and I've done a lot of work with individual teachers who, who, who really want to make a difference in their schools and feel they are fighting rather than collaborating uh, with ethos. Um, uh, and, you know, if they if they apply their learning upwards, it's not just about top down. It's also about the application of different processes and uh, working upwards as well as uh, getting feed in downwards. Uh, we can all begin to make a slight difference. You asked me uh, at one point earlier on in our conversation. What do you do? I think what I have tried to do in my life and in all my different roles is um, join things up and uh, spread different ways of working. Uh, and I've, you know, that that's been a real joy. Uh, I love joining things up. I love saying to people, have you thought of, have, do you know about that over there? What about looking at that practice? And um, uh, I think that uh, application of learning from different places can be so helpful. Can you give us maybe an example of what you've done uh, to join um, uh, different ideas up, different peoples, and, and specifically how you might have helped um, some folks see things in a different way, bringing in parts that they might not have necessarily considered. Um, do you have a story that, that, that really was effective or one that's dear to your heart? Well, I've worked at the Arts Council um, and uh, my role there was, uh, I've had various roles at the Arts Council, um, but it was about social inclusion. It was about creative education. And um, one of the privileges of working in a regional body, a national body, is that you learn yourself from different practices um, across the country. And um, there was a movement at one point uh, that the government, that the then government set up of specialist schools that specialised in, they did all the, the regular curriculum stuff, but they had a particular specialism and there were specialist arts colleges. And one of my roles was about working with those arts colleges to help them plan strategically to embed the arts in their school improvement plans. 
Um, and of course, I learned a lot from that process. And I was then able to work with different specialist colleges as they were planning how to embed the arts and creative practice across their whole school plan of saying, well, actually, there's some really good practice over there. Why don't you talk to that head teacher about how he or she has 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 embedded the arts and creativity. And there was one particular school, which is still doing extraordinary work, that decided that dance was something that they wanted to embed right across uh, the whole school. And interestingly, that began to have a knock-on effect on improvement in exams and attainment by students. And it was quite interesting. Of course, it's difficult to say it was the dance that had that impact as opposed to it was the head teacher's leadership and their whole approach to management. But they embedded dance across everything that that school did. And it had an impact on uh, boys and how boys felt about themselves and their bodies and their confidence. And if you can get that right, it then has an impact on how they feel about school and coming to school and how they approach their learning. Interestingly, it also has an impact on teachers because we cannot isolate the student and their self-esteem and self-confidence from the teacher uh, and likewise, how they feel about um, their subject and enriching it through the arts. So what does that look like if you have dance that's centralized and, and is across the board? What does that look like in, say, humanities class? Or is that, I mean, it, was it subject specific? Was there a special program? How, how did that work? Was it outside the class? What does that look like? Well, the school moved from just dance to looking at um, creativity across the curriculum and um, I've worked with many schools that have started off with a single subject focus and then moved to think well actually what is this really about this is about um, creativity and if you begin to embed creativity across every aspect of of the curriculum you begin to um, transform teaching and learning. If every class, if every subject is thinking about inquiry and exploration and uh, what if and experimentation um, and asking questions of students rather than telling students and inviting students to ask questions of themselves and of the teaching, it can be a bit challenging for teachers, but actually you are beginning to develop critical thinking in all subjects, which arguably uh, is what education should be about. And some people might say there's a tension, though, between a set curriculum and this idea of inquiry, because curriculum, we have to do A, B, C, we have to teach this, we have to make sure that that you get a certain amount of knowledge in your mind. And, and I know we talked about, you know, having too much facts and knowledge, but but the inquiry gives power to a large extent into to the hands of the younger learners, the students. That could take us very widely away from, from curriculum. How, how do we resolve this tension then? Yes, yes. Well, of course, there is a tension uh, because time is always a tension um, in education. And 
um, the assessment at the end of the year, whether it's public examinations or school examinations, and the link between that assessment and teacher performance. You know, th these are things that we're all living with. Um, I would say, and it's easy for me, it's easy for me to say this because I am no longer in a world of um, being assessed, but I would say um, there's a great Dutch proverb, don't throw out the baby with the bathwater. How can we, um, as a profession, as a group of professionals, whether you're coming at this from creative practice or from uh, uh, teaching practice, the practice of teaching and pedagogy, how can we build a little bit more time for student inquiry uh, into the education system? And schools can do it, and they do do it. But of course, you have to be focused on, I need to get my students through the exam. But how much better, more effectively, can we get them not just through exams, but as enhanced thinkers and learners through building in uh, inquiry-based learning and all that it brings in terms of creativity and collaboration. I'm not answering your question, Benjamin, because it is an impossible question to answer because we are dealing with um, monoliths of education systems that are focused on examinations, assessment, teaching and learning, and they are inextricably linked. Um, but if we do not build in um, time for students to question and practice as part of our pedagogies, uh, then we are letting students down. One of the things that fascinates me about uh, the arts and about anything that's creative is this idea of audience and this idea that no matter what the quality, and I use that term very loosely, of, the, of what we produce, what really matters is the impact on the audience. I could write uh, a book that is uh, wonderful in terms of prose and structure and, and plot, and, and that would be great, and chances are the audience would receive that well. But if nobody reads it, then actually it doesn't really matter what my skills are. Another example, I could write a play or I could or, you know, uh, compose a piece of music, but if, if, it doesn't, if, it's not, if it doesn't hit with the audience, if it doesn't connect with them, then, then you know, have I succeeded or failed, even if technically it's very sound. One of the things I'm, I'm interested in getting your views on is can we rethink this idea of inquiry and creativity around the impact that what we produce has on the audience, on the people who receive it, rather than keeping it isolated um, in terms of just the mechanics uh, of, of, of the work that we produce? Well, I think that's a very interesting question because, of course, um, uh, in a way, the arts world is, has its own assessment process which is how many people are they getting through the door, whether it's a reader of a book who purchases the book or whether it's going to the theatre, how many people are they, are they getting through the door? Um, and there are some art forms that are challenging. Uh, uh, that there's a mystique 
built around some art forms, around contemporary visual art, for instance, um, certainly around um, contemporary music. Um, and it is quite difficult for someone who uh, simply stumbles across a piece of art, a visual art, if it's quite a if it's quite challenging, difficult to understand, how can you possibly? Uh, but we can all approach art uh, at whatever level f is right for us. And I, I, I speak myself as someone who, who who can find certain visual art quite quite challenging to understand. But actually, if if we are a little bit familiar because we've participated in workshops or um, we've worked with artists, we, we understand a little bit more about the processes and the planning that goes into these things, we might get more, more out of it. Um, I'm not sure if I'm answering your, your question. Um, I mean, I, I struggle a lot in a way with music because music is, is, is my, uh, I do a lot of music in my spare time. I conduct uh, two choirs that are unauditioned and I have quite a passion for 21st century choral music, some of which is quite challenging. But, you know, if, if as a teacher, uh, if you really pour into that that music that you want your choir or your group to work with and you get under the surface and you do it uh, in a, a really user-friendly point of view um, and promote and build that understanding and ask questions of, of, of the people who are learning it. How is that for you? And what do you feel about that little phrase? You get under the surface and you can begin to do something that's quite extraordinary. Um, I'm not, I, I never consider myself a great teacher, but I get such joy from beginning to unpack something that ostensibly feels complex and, and try and instigate um, that same joy in, in, in people for whom it's completely new in a completely non-patronizing way, um, uh, I don't know. You get you get a, a hint of of success, and and some composers are extraordinarily good at making their music uh, work well for people of all abilities and backgrounds um, as well. I guess that's the question. I, I think of, for instance, I think of literature, and I think of some of the. Uh, books that one might find in a, say, popular um, uh, book-selling outlet that might not necessarily uh, be held to the same uh, high esteem as, say, James Joyce. My point is, if one is more technically sophisticated, more well-recognized, but not as well-read, if we compare that to something that is maybe not as technically beautiful, but has more influence and impact because it reaches more, more folks, um, what is more, where where are we to value? And I'm bringing this back to schools um, simply because in schools we tend to focus on the mechanics, but there's also this idea of the impact that the mechanics might not be as beautiful, but you're far more wide-reaching. Is that okay? It's it's kind of, I don't even know where I'm going with this question, but, 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 but this is very interesting to me in terms of the arts, in terms of accessibility, 
versus being more um, mainstream? And, and why would one be more valued than the other if one touches more people than the other? Um, yes, I mean, starting with, with, with reading, for instance, and um, literature, I, I suppose my personal view is that all reading is delightful. Whether you are reading a comic uh, or a graphic novel or uh, James Joyce, um, all reading is enriching and enhancing and makes you think and reflect. And, um, uh, you know, that's my basic premise. And uh, you could say the same about art. Looking at all pictures is, is, is a real privilege. Um, uh, listening to any kind of music is soul enhancing, uh, whether it's um, uh, contemporary popular music or whether it's Bach um, uh, or, or Monteverdi or, you know, anything that you get pleasure from yourself is a good thing and it can take you on a journey. So you might start with Beyonce and you begin to look at chord structures um, and that might take you back to Bach. You know, I've worked with uh, with uh, some very interesting young people in the past who only played guitar by ear. Absolutely great stuff. And they came to me and they said, um, uh, can can you can you help us put a bit of a musical theory and knowledge behind our playing by here? You know, we play with a few chords and we worked with those few chords and then we began to look at how music was written. I didn't take them on a very long journey, but they started from where they were and they were tremendous musicians, but uh, just natural players that they taught themselves. Um, and if we can instigate through teaching that um, that concept of um, reading is good, music is good, start from where you are, go on your own personal journeys. Um, uh, that surely is something that we should nurture. Um, you've made me think about the Arts Award, um, which is a, a British scheme. And the Arts Award um, is assessed. It works with a portfolio, um, but the the child, the young person, sets their own learning journey. They work with an advisor who is not a teacher, but simply facilitates them to, whether they're starting with uh, DJing or rock music or um, cartooning, they set their own learning journey, their own goals, and that progress is assessed at the end on its own terms. And I think that's quite an interesting um, way of working. Of course, we, we probably couldn't apply that across the whole curriculum because there are certain outcomes the curriculum needs to be seen to achieve. But it is an interesting way of working um, that we might want to apply in different ways. And I guess this goes back to a question that I posed myself and have posed other guests is if we can't move this monolith, as you mentioned, of the curriculum, should we try to change things if we need change from the inside or do we need to go on the fringes and have that spill over? I mean, there's absolutely no reason that we can't have a school that doesn't assess. 
There's no reason that we can't have a school that is just as you described to have a guide there. Um, the fringe or in the middle. I mean, arts themselves, all artistic movements that have changed have started on the fringes. Like the ones that have been really avant-garde by definition have been on the fringes. So can we think of the same structures when it comes to education? I think uh, I have spent a lot of my life trying to um, inform, influence government thinking directly and indirectly. And um, uh, my most recent role as Chief Executive of Arts Work, which is a national youth arts development agency, worked with the Arts Council very hard to try and inform government thinking um, in education uh, unsuccessfully. Um, but that doesn't mean that you stop trying. Um, and in that process and in that journey, we came across many head teachers um, uh, in England absolutely passionate about the importance of arts and creativity in the lives and education of their students. Um, why? Because of all those things that we've already talked about, uh, the imagination and curiosity, which is so important for all subjects. Um, and I'm just losing the thread here. I had a really good thread, yes. And I have also worked um, in other countries, uh, Singapore and Chile, and uh, indeed in Thailand. Um, I was very hopeful when I went to Singapore that I would find um, an understanding of creativity. And I found that understanding not in the education department, but in a government department, but in the community, the, the government department responsible for communities. I found it in the Arts Council of Singapore, so like the challenges we were experiencing uh, in England. In other words, so many committed people to the importance of arts and creativity, but not quite influencing the education department. But if you can influence individual head teachers, who then influence their peers, you begin to make a ripple um, effect. It was very interesting going to Chile, um, where we found exactly the same. The government's education department very focused on assessment, examinations, um, and not really valuing the role of arts and creativity. How can we get this so wrong as a series of nations? Um, and that's why, in a way, the work that OECD and UNESCO are doing is very important. It's important for our health, our well-being, for society, for how we work together and inform each other and are informed by each other. One of the things that you uh, brought up at the very beginning, and I promised myself to get uh, to this thread because it's probably one of the most important ones, is about the access to the arts. And I imagine that uh, one of the biggest challenges that you find in access to the arts is, is socioeconomic. Uh, some of the challenges in, in certain neighborhoods, in certain to the access uh, uh, geographically, but you know, in terms of proximity, in terms of, of financial, the fact that you have to pay money to go to the museum in so many places is, is, is also very, very um, uh, disconcerting. 
what work have you done? What do you see happening? Just maybe your thoughts around providing everyone access to, to the arts and understanding the arts as well. Um, what, what are your thoughts around this? Uh, gosh, you're making me reflect on what a what a lovely, lovely professional life um, I've had and I'm still having. Um, there are some extraordinary programmes of work happening in the most deprived communities. And um, as we speak, I'm remembering a conversation I had with somebody um, that came from a very poor community in Chile, just outside Santiago. And um, his community, uh, in difficult times in Chile, um, had been involved with a film project that's still running, and I've forgotten the name of the uh, film artist. I, I will let you know who it was. But um, she did some extraordinary work in this deprived community, and he said to me um, that the arts gave him dignity, um, as a child, and I think he he was involved with the film project between the ages of about 12 and 15. You know, that really important time in the life of a young person when they're moving from child to adult. And that really struck me because until I had that conversation, I hadn't really associated uh, dignity um, with the transformational power that the arts can have. I'd associated the, uh, the arts with uh, empowerment and voice and imagination and curiosity um, and giving a young person agency, um, self-esteem. And I suppose dignity is just another way of, of, of saying that. But I have seen uh, young people um, participating in really deprived communities in music projects. And it, 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 it's music that is incredibly powerful, where they have worked collaboratively in groups. They've made music together. But what struck me in one um, particular community project was... Um, the endorsement and encouragement of peers to each other, um, which was incredibly uh, supportive. So um, groups would be performing and the, the encouragement and, and, and applause and appreciation of the development of their peers for each other uh, was was just incredibly powerful. And I've seen that again and again in, in, in work that have been done uh, with young people who are looked after by the state. They don't um, necessarily have homes. And how the arts can give that sense of empathy for each other. And, and that is something that is not not necessarily unique to arts and creativity, but is certainly a very powerful aspect. And if you can give self-esteem, empowerment and empathy, those are things that those young people can take forward and may have a positive effect on their lives going forward. That notion of empathy is 
is really terribly important. And sometimes we forget about that in the education uh, system. Uh, I've seen work happening uh, in prisons um, and, um, you know, that sense of, of, of older offenders who've never had opportunity discovering what drama and theatre can do in terms of self-expression and um, helping people reflect on where perhaps they could have done th things differently, different choices they might have made at different stages of their arts, of, of their lives through the arts, through drama. Very, very powerful. Thank you so much. I, I'm going to leave it open uh, to maybe uh, exploring some of uh, the different projects that you have, some of the things that occupy your mind, some of the things you're excited about. It's a little bit the et cetera section, but really wanting to get um, uh, an idea of, of, of what lays in store for you uh, in, the, in the near and, and, and medium future. Well, um, I am a trustee of Nordoff Robbins Music Therapy and um, uh, probably will continue to be for another couple of years. I've been I've been quite a while a trustee and you're supposed to move on, but there there is some extraordinary work um done through music with uh people who are autistic, people with dementia, people with um uh neuro injuries who've who've been injured, their brains have become damaged through accidents. Um, and that is uh, a wonderful privilege to know about, to learn from. I, I, I saw some work about five years ago um, where um, a man had a motorcycle accident. It happens a lot, unfortunately. And he was completely paralysed except for some movement in his foot. Uh, his brain, his thinking brain, was undamaged. Um, but he he had this amazing brain trapped in a body that no longer worked very well apart from his foot. And I saw him work as a musician, not as a client or a patient, but as a musician with another musician and working with, um, uh, what's, what's it called? Um, um, Soundbeam sound beam technology where he was able to manipulate the sound beam to create the sounds that that he wanted um, to to make he was improvising as a musician on an equal level um, and that sort of extraordinary work i hope to to see more of um, i've just become a trustee of winchester poetry festival in fact i'm a i'm the chair of Winchester Poetry Festival, I'm not quite sure how that happened, but uh, you know, the power and playfulness of words. We all, most of us are fortunate to have words and we can just play with them a little bit and uh, we can all do that. There is no mystique about using words to help us feel better, to express things. Uh, it doesn't have to be clever. It can be simple and meaningful. And uh, I'm really looking forward to um, making the, the joy of words and poetry and expression a little bit more accessible to people who think it's not for them. Why not? 
Why can't we all play with words? It's marvellous, really marvellous. We've all got words, however we express it. So uh, that's something for me for the future. And I continue my interest in trying to inform policy. Um, I am um, an associate of the Southern Policy Centre that tries, uh, that endeavours through research to inform policy and practice at government level, local government as well as national government. So I'm continuing in that drive and I'm doing some really interesting work about to do around neurodiversity and access to further and higher education. So, so what I find particularly interesting about the examples that you gave is that as we go back to our, the first part of the conversation, um, this goes across time. All those examples that you gave could happen in a school. It could happen in, in, a, in a year two school, school in, a, in, a, in a year 13. It, it really doesn't matter. It could happen at any point. And, and I guess that's what's really powerful about this. That it becomes an experience that, that goes across time and space, just as we started with. Uh, yes, yes. And it's quite interesting because uh, although I haven't written anything down in preparation for this interview, it, it's actually made me reflect on the different roles that I've had and and the thread uh, through them from from being a, a teacher of music in schools, um, nationally and internationally, to my work in arts management that also has always had an education a uh, uh, thread, whether that's formal or informal, and the learning from that, and how I've wanted to use that to influence policy, and I'm still on that drive. So, um, but yes, I think there there is so much that we need to think about in terms of education. I feel as um, a world, and I'm about to make a sweeping generalization, that um, we can do better by children and young people um, in the education system. And I think if we are more inclined to put their needs at the centre of learning, that's a first step along the way. What sort of, what sort of future people do we want in, in our governments, uh, in our societies, in our communities? And how do we nurture the child, children and young people um, to to be able to apply skills in a more meaningful way, uh, which is sort of where, where we started. And we all need joy in our lives. Um, and actually the arts and creative practice help us join the dots internally and externally. So. Well, those are wonderful words to, to, to finish by. Thank you so much, Jane. Really appreciate your time. Thank you. You have been listening to the Coconut Thinking Podcast in partnership with Intrepid Ed News. Thank you so much for listening. I'm your host, Benjamin Freud. We look forward to having you listen to our podcast again soon. Please subscribe. Please give us five stars if you like uh, what you hear. We will go back to the idea of talking about the bio uh, collective soon and uh, speaking with uh, a few very exciting guests who uh, lead uh, bio leadership programs and as well regeneration programs to go back to thinking about how we are all connected. In the meantime, check us out on www.coconut-thinking.design. Uh, we look forward to your comments and uh, you can check out our blogs and some videos and so forth. Again, it's Benjamin Freud from Coconut Thinking, www.coconut-thinking.com. And until next time.